0: You. Know you, lady? There's like seven billion no, people. No, go. you look very familiar. It's like I a know you. pretty bad pickup line, okay? Oh yeah, you are from those spiritual sweat videos from like four years ago. I used how to. How did lo- you know that? Who told you? I used to love those videos. You inspired me. You made me wanna get into shape. But anyway, how have you been? You know, I've been. Good Things are really on the up and up. Oh well, I gotta run. But I'll see you around. I mean, around. I mean, you That's know what I mean? So rude of you. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> start getting back into shape. What a distance. Welcome everyone. Welcome to the well here at STSA. We're glad that you're joining us. We are kicking off a new series today called Spiritual Sweat Part Two. And if you're wondering why Part Two, if you didn't understand the video right there, we did a series Four years ago, back in 2013, when the church was very, very young, called Spiritual Sweat, and it was all about some of the spiritual disciplines that we need to get in shape. Okay, so that's what the reference was. The sequel, and as we go along here, we will uh, we'll see more great videos from our friend Peter right there and his adventures to get back in shape. This is the one series that people remember the videos more than what I said. Okay, this is the one series that people look forward to the intro videos more than they look forward to me, but that's okay. I got no problem with it because I'm super excited about this series and I'm so excited. No introduction. Let's jump straight in. Here's our key thought for today and for the rest of this series that I'm starting off with today. And you'll tell me if you agree with the following sentence. I believe that the solution to your problem isn't the solution to your problem. Finding God is. I believe that the solution to your problem isn't the solution to your problem. We all have problems. We all know the solution to the problem. But I believe that the solution to the problem isn't really the solution to your problem, but finding God is. This past week, a lady came to me, a member of our church family, someone who I know very well, and someone who is a great person, who has strong faith, and they're just like the rest of us, and they're a great person. But this lady was kind of having a rough time. Right, there is a particular situation that uh she had been praying for, has been praying for for a long time, and you know, she you know, has good days and bad days. And some days, you know, what, I trust God no matter what happens. Some days, where are you, God? Well, I caught her on one of these where are you, God days, okay, and she was kind of at the peak of the where are you, God, and how come God isn't? I've had enough with God, and I did the standard, you know, what it'll be okay, like trust God, like God's gotten you this far, and you just need to trust God, just need to trust God. But she said back to me, she said, I'll trust God, but if he wants me to trust him, he better get moving on fixing the problem. So I learned when that's the situation in the beginning, I would be like, no, and how could you say that? And we got to fix this? What I learned in that situation, the best thing sometimes is just to back away slowly because solving the problem doesn't solve the problem. Finding God solves the problem. So my advice back to this person was, you're right. It's all God's fault. Like it's okay. Just go home. Just go home. Go home. Say a prayer and call me tomorrow. Next day I talk to the lady. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. What happened? Things changed. God answered the 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 problem. Said so, you know you know what? I realized that that God does know what He's doing and that, you know what, I just need to trust God. I just need to trust God and I realized that, you know what, that my plan may not be the best plan. Like I got the five year, the 10 year plan. I was supposed to be this by age 23 and this by age 25 and this by age 30, whatever it is. You know what, maybe my plan isn't the best plan. And we had a nice and we laughed together and we joked and we said, problem solved, all is good right now. Question for you, what changed in this lady's life? Did her problem get solved? Situation she'd been praying for for years, did it get answered? Did all of a sudden her family problem go away and her answer, everything she wanted happened? What changed? Because the day before she was miserable and this day she was great. What changed? Did the problem get solved? No. But she found God. And that's why I say the solution to your problem isn't the solution to your problem. Finding God is the solution to your problem. And just this past week, I'll give you even more examples. All from this past week. i give you more over the course of my life just from the past week. The couple that came to me, that just came from the the doctor that gave them the bad news that at a very young age can't have children. The solution to your problem isn't the solution to your problem. The solution to your problem is finding God. The young single man who is not as young as he was before and another relationship ended. Another one. This was supposed to be the one that was perfect. And it ended. The solution to your problem is the solution to your problem. Finding God is. How about The parents who just found out that their, I don't know, probably three, four, five year old child has a very, very rare disease that is one in a million and the neurologist doesn't know how it can be treated. The solution to your problem isn't the solution to your problem. The solution to your problem is finding God. And that's where this series comes in. The name of the series is Spiritual Sweat 2. It's coming off a series we did back in 2013, which was Spiritual Sweat, the original, which was all about spiritual disciplines to get us in spiritual shape. Well, what this series is, is the sequel. It's not about getting in shape, but it's about getting back in shape. Because what I discovered is that all of us today come with problems, come with things that we're saying and your problem. The solution to your problem is finding God in the midst of that problem. And if we can find God in the midst of our problem, then our problems all of a sudden become a lot smaller. Let's go Bible examples. Once upon a time, there's a man named Daniel. Daniel found himself in a bit of a problem. He found himself face-to-face with a lion. Not a person who was scary like a lion. Not like a figurative lion, like a real lion. Like the kind that scream and chew people's heads off. That kind of lion. Face-to-face with a lion. Daniel, please God, remove him from here. Nope. Please God, solve the problem. Bye, get me out of this. Nope. How about instead of get you out of the lion's den, how about I stand next to you in the lion's den? And I shut the mouth of the lion. Oh, that's a pretty good idea, God. Daniel had some friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They found themselves in a bit of a hot situation as well. Found themselves in a fiery furnace because they refused to deny God. The king said, deny God, deny God, renounce your God. And they said, we will not renounce our God and God will take care of us. And God took care of them so much. That he put him in a fiery furnace, and they're just waiting to say, "You know what? As soon as the guy tries to start the fire, I bet you his lighter goes out." No, the lighter didn't go out. I bet you, as soon as he starts the fire, God's gonna give us wings. We're gonna fly to here. Nope, no wings. I bet you, as soon as we get in here, that all of a sudden God is gonna turn to fire and smash those people. God said, "Nope, nope, nope," because the solution to your problem isn't the solution to your problem. How about instead of doing all those things, how about I stand next to you in the fire, and I will keep you in the fire, but I'll protect you in the fire, and I'll make a cool breeze. I'll kind of go. So much so that you'll say, can I have a sweater in here? Because that's how it's going to be when I stand next to you in the fire. Once upon a time, there was a man named Moses. Moses had a miserable, miserable, miserable problem. Moses was lost in the desert for 40 years. 40 years. For 40 years. Moses didn't ask for this problem, but God asked him, say Moses, I need you to do this. I need you to lead my people out of Egypt to the promised land. He got stuck with a bunch of complainers. You know when you're in the car and you get stuck with annoying people on a road trip? This is a 40-year road trip. This is a road trip that started, if it's today, from 1977. Moses had been driving since 1977 with the same annoying people in the back seat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Moses had one thing that he wanted in life: God, get me to the promised land. All he wanted was the promised land, promised land, promised land, promised land. Moses never saw the promised land. But at the end of his 40 years, as he was approaching the promised land, Moses changed his request because he realized that the solution to his problem wasn't the solution to his problem of finding God. And Moses said this. Sorry, wrong order. Moses said this in Exodus 33, verse 15 through 18. Moses said, if your presence, speaking to God, does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Please show me your glory. Moses told God. God was saying, okay, you know what, Moses? I'm going to get you to that promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to stay here. I'm sick and tired of these annoying people. I can't take the car ride. You go, I'll stay here. And Moses said to God, no, thank you. Because the solution to my problem isn't the solution to my problem. The same problem I had here, I'm going to find over there because I got the same annoying people with me. I need you, God. And I would rather, ask yourself this question, I would rather have the problem with God than the no problem without the God. I would rather have the problem with God than the no problem without the God. And that's what this series is all about. Here's a verse that's going to kind of guide us through this series, at least today. Jeremiah chapter 29, 13. What are we doing here in this series in Spiritual Sweat Part 2? What we are doing is you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me. What we are going to do in this series is what we, for the, not even this series, this journey that we're going to go on together is we are going to say, God, we want you. And we want you more than we want solution to problem a time of Lent where we in this church are fasting. We want you more than even we want the food that we like. We want you more than anything else. And we will seek you with all of our heart. And we trust that as you promised, that if we seek you with all of our heart, that you will make yourself available to us because that's what you promised. And what we're gonna discover is that when we seek God and we find God, that's the solution to our problems because I got news for you. as somebody, take it from me, someone whose specialty is the problem department. Okay, this is like what my job is. Okay, I'm the complaint department. Anyone who has any complaint against God, they come talk to me about it. Okay, not even just in the church, in the street. Anyone who has ever had any complaint against God, like I'm the suggestion box right here. Let me take this from me. Okay, I got a news flash for you that whatever problem you think is the end of your life and this problem has got to have a solution to this problem. This problem, this problem, this problem. I got news for you. When that one gets solved, another one, bigger one is coming right after <laughs> You think the problem is your boss. Your boss is a jerk, and your boss won't give you a break. I got news for you. After you get rid of that boss, you're going to have a worse boss. You think the problem is that the bills keep piling up. I need a break. I got news for you. The bills ain't going away. The bills just keep on coming and coming and coming. You think the problem is that your kids are crazy when they're young. I got news for you. They get worse. You think the problem? Watch this one is that you're not married? (laughs) The solution to your problem is not the solution to your problem. You haven't even seen problems yet. The solution to your problem is finding God. So here's what we're going to do in this series. Like I said, we're going to seek God. Now you say, okay, okay. That's a pretty easy thing. Seeking God is easy or not easy. In theory, it's easy. Seeking God is kind of like a marathon. In theory, it's easy. One foot in front of the other, you get to the end. Anyone can do it. But the difficulty comes in the actual implementation because what we're going to discover, as we just saw with our lovely friend Peter up on the screen, is that some of us are a little bit out of shape. And the idea of running a marathon is easy. One foot in front of the other, put the shoes, put the socks, the headband. Like, yeah, that's easy to do. Until you get out there and you realize that you can't run because you're a little bit out of shape. And spiritually, some of us, a.k.a. most of us, really all of us, are a little bit out of shape. And that's what this series is all about, about getting back in shape. What is it that we need to get in shape from? Okay, what is the enemy of revival? What is the enemy of seeking God? The enemy of being in spiritual shape and discovering God in the midst of whatever it is in our life? Our enemy for this series is the word complacency. Complacency is our four-letter word for this series. Complacency is the equivalent of the extra pounds that we put on over the years spiritually. What is complacency? Complacency doesn't need much of a definition, but there's one on the screen in case you didn't know what it is. Complacency means self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. Unaware or uninformed self-satisfaction. That means this. That means if someone asks you how you're doing spiritually, the answer is fine. Fine. I'm doing fine. Everything's fine. You pray when I can read the Bible, I got most of it memorized. You fighting against sin? I don't do any of the big ones. I'm okay. Unaware or uninformed self-satisfaction means that there's a problem. Complacency means there's a problem that's hanging over my head and is about to smash me in the head. And as far as I'm concerned, everything's just fine. Peachy keen around here, and I don't see any issue. Well, that's a perfect way to describe how most of us are today spiritually. All looks good on the outside. Hey, we go to church. Hey, we pray every now and then, when we're in trouble at least. At least when, hey, we don't do big things. I'm not robbing liquor stores. I ain't selling drugs to kids. All right, yeah, I ain't no monk, no nun, but I'm doing my best, like I'm a good person. Complacency is unaware or uninformed self-satisfaction. What do you do when you have complacency? Here is the picture that the scripture draws for us that we want to do throughout this series. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 is, is a farming analogy, but it's perfect for our spiritual life. It says, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Break up your fallow ground. Who knows what fallow ground means? Anyone know what fallow ground is? Fallow farmers, agriculture people, arboretum, anything, anyone, no one? Fallow means this. You ever seen the ground like this? Okay. It means the ground that used to be fertile. Okay. It doesn't mean that it's like, like, like that can never be fertile. It means it used to be, but it's just been left for so long that it's gotten like crusty and hard and kind of, you can't, you can't put seeds and stuff like this. There's potential in the soil. Okay. Because it used to be, but it's just kind of been left and kind of gone to a bad direction. So what, what God tells his people, when your soil is like this, break up your fallow ground, break up your fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord. That fallow ground is our hearts. That fallow ground is our spiritual lives. And all of us would agree that there was a time, there was a time when our hearts were fertile soil, when our hearts were a soft place that we would hear a sermon and we would be cut to the heart. Now we don't remember the last time we were cut to the heart that we would actually wake up in the morning an extra 10 minutes early to pray. Now we seem to wake up extra late in order to avoid prayer. We used to look forward to coming to church and we say, God, speak to me today in church. Now we just go because it's the right thing to do and because I got nothing better to do on a Sunday morning. We all used to have that fertile soil in our hearts. Now it is time to break up the fallow ground. You know how you break up fallow ground? Back to this picture. What do you do if you have soil like this? Do you wish it well? Do you pray for it and say good luck? Do you massage it, okay? And you you go easy on it. Every day a little massage. You know what you get? You get that thing, the spiky thing with the turny thing, okay? The tiller thing, that thing that goes in there and messes stuff up and it breaks up, that's why the word is break up. Not massage up your fallow ground, not touch up your fallow ground, but break it up, smash it up, turn the upside down and go in and out and kind of destroy the kind of thing. Well, that's what unfortunately some of us need spiritually. We need a little bit of a wake up call. We need a little bit of a shock to our hearts to make them fertile again, because every farmer knows that there is no sh- no sense, no sense in planting a seed when the fo- when the soil isn't fertile, when the soil is fallow. So what we need to do as we prepare for this ever so important time of Lent and preparing for Holy Week and Easter and prepare for the seeds to come in from God, we need to take care of our soil. Let me draw you a picture of what we want our hearts to look like. There's a great example in the Old Testament One of my favorite sections of the Old Testament is the books of Kings and Chronicles. And I say that and you say, oh, those are the worst books. Those are just history books. Those are stories, those are the best. Those are the stuff, Hollywood cannot make up stories that the way the Bible has in real life right there. And there's incredible stories. And there's a great story of a man who's actually started as a boy named Josiah. Josiah will pick up his story. He enters the pages of scripture At age eight, I want you to think back, what was your life like at age eight? What were you doing at age eight? That's third grade. You were like me, age eight, you're probably figuring out how to tie your shoes, trying to, uh, to, to figure out how to ride a bike. Maybe you started improper fractions or something like that. Your main task when you're in third grade is don't get caught picking your nose. Like that's like what you do when you are in third grade, age eight. Josiah, age eight, let's see what he's up to in life. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1 and 2. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Not like king in a game of house. Not like king in like a, in a, in a play way. Like king of God's people. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of, the, of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now, most of you know, if you study the, the Old Testament, you know that most of the kings of God's people were not good people. They all started good, not all, some of them started bad. Most of them started good, but quickly turned bad. And when I say turned bad, what that means is they worshiped false gods, they worshiped other idols. And the reason why they would worship false idols was there was a lot to be gained politically. Every nation was associated with a God. So we are the people of Israel, we have the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when nation went against nation, What it was was God against God, whose God was stronger. That's how they believed. So in order to make political alliances, you worshipped other gods. Not because you believed in the other gods, because you know that they were stone and wood and whatever. But a lot of kings would make alliances with other nations. I'll worship your God, so now we are friends. Josiah, from a young age, said, I will not do that. I will worship only the true God, no matter what it costs me politically or in my career. Verse 3, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Okay, now in the eighth year, so he's 16 years old. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem with the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. So not only he did not make political alliances, not worship other gods to be friends with other nations, he did the opposite. He cleansed Israel of all the false idol worship. And he said, I don't care what it costs us politically or militarily or financially. We will do the right thing. And he did this from a young age. Now, for most of us, if that's how we lived our lives at age eight, at age 16, I would say, you're pretty good. I would say, you know what, God? I'm better than all the other kings. I ridded Israel of all this bad worship. Like I'm in good shape. When the history of all the kings goes up, I'm going to be top 10 right off the bat just because I didn't worship the false idols. Remind me again of what the definition of complacent was. Complacency was self-satisfaction, unaware of the potential dangers. Unaware, uninformed, self-satisfaction. Josiah was not complacent. Verse 8. In the 18th year of his reign. So how old is he now? 26. Okay, 26. Still a young man. In the 18th year of his reign. When he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of jo- Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. What this verse is saying, he's 26 years old, he sent some of his workers to go to the temple, which had been destroyed, and says, go fix the temple up. Okay, this is something good. Now watch what happens when, it, when they're there. Verse 14. Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Little little context here. The book of the law of Moses is what we would call the Pentateuch, okay? Or the books of law, the first five books of the Bible. And back then they didn't have the Bible that we had. They only had the books of law and they had some of the prophecies but they weren't really the way we have them in one combined book. The books of Moses were the most important thing. They told you the law. They told you when you're supposed to go to the temple, how you're supposed to worship, all the sacrifices, all the the cleanliness and the sanitary and 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 all the, the governing laws of the people. The book of the law of Moses was the most important document in the history of the world as far as they were concerned. And they lost it. They lost it. Previous kings had allowed the bad guys, the idol worship, had allowed the bad kings to come in and do their worship in the temple. And in this process, they desecrated the temple and they lost it. Not only they lost it, not only they lost it, but they lost it and nobody seemed to care. They weren't looking for it. They lost the law. Like this is, there was no like hotel, like the Gideons were not around back then so they would give people Bibles. There was only, this was the only copy of the law that was given to Moses. There may have been another copy, but this was the sacred copy and it had been lost all these years. Now watch what happens next. Hilkiah finds it, gives it to Shepan. Then Shepan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book And Japan read it before the king. Before I read you the next verse, what do you think happens next? You're a 26 year old man. You're riding high. You're the king of the world. You're the king of God's people, and you are successful, and you are spiritual, and you have done better than any other king has ever done. You have exceeded expectations a millionfold. And then all of a sudden, you get this book of law, which has been lost for years, that has all these rules. And you're not keeping most of these rules. Because you didn't know about them because they were kind of hidden all these years. What do you do? Make it more applicable. You're a young man, a young woman. You're living with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend. All of a sudden you come to church, you open up the Bible and you read that God is not happy with that. That God says sex is reserved for marriage. What do you do? You don't give money. You keep all your money for yourself. You open up the scripture, says in Malachi chapter three, that will you rob me? How will I rob you, God? You say, you rob me when you don't offer your tithes and offerings. You keep all your money for yourself. What will you do? Confronted with the truth. Even easier, you open up Matthew chapter 5. It says, whoever is angry with his brother is in danger of judgment. And you know you hate your brother. You know you hate your sister. And you know you harbor bitterness and resentment. What do you do? What do you do when your entire life is one way and then God's word comes in front of you and says the exact opposite? Because you need to change this. Let me to tell you what you do? Because you know what you do and I know what you do. You justify your position. I've been living 26 years this way. I found out this rule in one minute. I ain't changing 26 years for one minute. You justify your position as to why what you're doing is not really wrong. And why what you're doing is kind of okay because God understands. And you start to go like we take the scripture and we do it like the tax laws. And look for loopholes. What's complacency mean again? I forgot what it means. Self-satisfaction, unaware of the imminent danger. Well, look what Josiah does. Verse 19. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Tore his clothes was basically a way to say like he wept bitterly, okay? And he was in shock. He tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahiakim, the son of Shapan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shapan the scribe, and Asiah, a servant of the king, saying... Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Basically, what he says is if this book is true, we are in serious danger here because God commanded one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten we are not doing any of this stuff, but he wants to confirm it. He says, Take this book go to the prophetess, and we'll see that in a little bit, go to the prophetess and ask her, is this legit? Like, is this true? Because if this is true, we're in trouble right here. Because God commanded A, and we are not doing it. God commanded B, and we are far from that. And God commanded C, and we didn't even know that existed. See a soft heart? You go to the prophetess, and the prophetess says, this is legit, and God is not happy with his people because of the way they've been living. But Josiah, I have a special message for you from God. And the prophetess says this, verse 26, But as for the king of Judah, Josiah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender. Because your heart was tender. You humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. and You humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you says the Lord. And then the chapter continues with God promising a blessing on Josiah. Key word, because your heart was what? Tender. What do I want out of this series? I want one thing. I want a tender heart. I want a heart like this. And this is what I desire for me and for you and for all of us. I desire a heart. Look, the goal of this series is not to learn more information. Your problem in your spiritual life is not that you don't know enough. Actually, the problem is the exact opposite, that you know more than you do. That's our problem. Our problem is not that we don't know what God wants. Our problem is that we know and don't do. And because we know and don't do, we would have been better off not knowing. Because we know and don't do, our hearts have become hard. And our hearts have become stiff. So much so that, like I said, that God confronts us with what we're doing wrong. And we say, ah. And God confronts us with, with 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 a mistake in our life. And we, ah. And our hearts have grown cold. And what we need to do is break up that fallow ground. We need to smash it up. And we need tender hearts like Josiah. The kind of hearts that we used to have. You remember the heart that you used to have? You remember when you first repented? Like the first time you repented. Not like last week repented, which was like a half repentance. Like the first time you repented. The first time you said, you know what, God? I don't care what my friends think about me. I want to do what's right. You remember that? You remember when you used to strive for purity, like really strive for purity? Like you used to really avoid the shows and you used to really avoid the websites? You remember when you really used to try? Because now we just kind of say, like, yeah, we did our best and yeah, we're trying, but we know we're not really trying. We're just going through the motions. Remember when you used to really care? Not just what you said, but what you thought? We used to judge yourself, not just by what came out your mouth, but by what was in your head? That's what we need again. Tender hearts. Josiah was a stud because all around him, nothing was pushing him, nothing was pushing him to repent, to make a change. Josiah was a stud because his heart was fertile, his heart was soft, and God says, if you've got a soft heart, there's no limit to what I'm going to do in your life. There's no limit to what I'm going to do in your life. I will stand next to you, but you have to have a soft heart. So here's what we're going to do here in this series. There's going to be three components to how we're going to try to soften our hearts up. Tools for revival. We're going to have three components, and I really hope that everyone does all three. Because if you only do one, it's exactly like 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 back to Peter with the getting in shape. Okay, you can you go to a personal trainer and he says you got to eat good, you got to do some cardio, and you got to lift some weights. Any one of those without the other three need all three of them together. We need to eat good, we need to do our cardio, and we need to lift some weights. Here's our three tools for revival in this series. Number one is going to be the Sunday messages here for the next six weeks or five after today. And right, we're gonna be talking about this. We're gonna talk about different subjects and tell you about that in a little bit. That's only the first component. The second component is a weekly life groups. And I really hope that every single person here can participate in life groups in one shape, some form or another. I hope every person can participate. If you've never participated in life groups, basically what this means is after we finish here on Sundays, we get together all around the DC metropolitan area. We got groups meeting every single day of the week. You get together with a small group of people five people, six people, seven people, 10 people, 12 people, and we go deeper into this subject together because it's great for you to sit here and listen to me. But what's better is for you to sit in a circle with one another, fellow believers, and we discuss this stuff together because it's great to learn this way, but it's better to learn this way. And you can learn a lot from me, but you can learn a lot more from one another. And especially this time, the life group's gonna be a little bit unique. Okay, what we're gonna do this time in the life groups is we're gonna take a passage of scripture every week Sometimes it'll be what I spoke about on Sunday. Sometimes it won't be. We're gonna take a passage of scripture that relates to the topic for that week. You're gonna read it together as a group and then you are gonna dig in and you are going to apply it. You're gonna talk about what it means to you and, what, and how that relates to your life, all right? So you are going to go deeper in these life groups so I really, really hope everyone can participate. And if you don't know how to participate, you stop by the connection table. They will tell you we've got groups meeting every single day, including today after church. My life group meets at four today, okay? So there's groups meeting all over starting today. And then there's a third component. And this one we've never done before, but this is gonna be actually where the series takes it to another level. We're gonna do daily readings. After I finish, okay, on your way out, you're gonna receive a little piece of paper like this, a little half sheet like this. And I realize that some of you are probably gonna throw it away because we have an electronic version on the app, but it's good to take it anyway, we already printed it. And what this is going to be is a reading plan for the next five weeks, six weeks, I'm sorry. Every single day, five days a week, I don't. My reading plan is five days a week. I don't. I, Saturdays and Sundays are unique. Okay, Sunday's day of the Lord. Saturday we should prepare for church. On Sunday, read the church readings. So five days a week, and I'm going to ask you to take this plan. Every week we can talk about a different topic, and we've chosen five readings for every single week that relate to that topic. And if you, it only takes you five minutes to read, and then on the flip side, we came up with a way. It's not the only way, but it is a way that can help you to dig deeper into it. It's a simple three-question model, okay, three questions that you can ask yourself after reading the passage, okay, and the first one says, what was my light bulb moment? Number two, where was Christ in this passage? And number three, what was the heart of the passage? And it explains that. Basically, if you're new to this thing and you've never been consistent in reading the scripture on a day-to-day basis, here's a great way to start, okay? Get yourself a journal, get yourself a Bible, get yourself this thing five days a week starting Monday, tomorrow. You pick it up and you answer these questions. You don't have to answer these questions. The goal isn't the question. The goal is that I spend time with God on a day-to-day basis. You know why? Because the most beneficial practice in your spiritual life, we did a series earlier, like a few months ago, called Finding Your Flavor, where we talked about quiet time is not the only way. And it is not the only way, but it is absolutely an extremely important way. The most beneficial spiritual practice you can have in your life is the ability to every single day close the door to my room, connect with my Father in Heaven, and hear His voice. Coming to church on Sundays is great, but it's the equivalent analogy that you all know. It's the equivalent of me giving you a fish versus me teaching you to fish on your own on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. This is great, but this is not getting in shape. This is not getting in shape. This is the equivalent, think about it, will watching a documentary about healthy eating make you a healthy eater? That's what we all do, right? Like we watch the documentary, we say it's so important. Never we go eat the Cheetos. Will watching a workout video make you in shape? Will reading a blog post about the effects of sugar get the ho-hos out your pantry? This is what we do spiritually. We wanna come here, have someone tell us about the spiritual life and feel like we've done a great job spiritually. We've done nothing. We've done nothing. My job is not to do anything for you. I can't get you in shape. My job is to inspire you. My job is to inspire you to say, you know what? I wanna get in shape. I want to go get uh, lift weights. I want to get on the treadmill. That's my job. And that's what the job of Sunday is. But if you don't leave here and roll up your sleeve and get on that treadmill, if you don't start putting in some work, can the soil watch a documentary on how to be fertilized? And that does any good for you? Why we think our hearts can be. And for some of you who say, you know what? Father Anthony, I tried this thing before, I'm just not good at it. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. I can't hear the voice of God. Okay, I'm gonna go back to something I said earlier. Okay, earlier, I threw myself out there and I told you one of my goals for this coming year, of which we're almost at the end of February right now, and I'm not very far, okay, is that I want to be able to do 10 pull-ups by the end of the year. Because I've never done a pull-up in my life. So I said I'm gonna be able to do 10 pull-ups. So I say, you know what? I can't do a pull-up. Okay, but that's the whole point of the goal. The whole point is that you can't do it today, but you want to do it by the end of the year. So what do you do today in February so that in December that you can do it? say, I can't hear the voice of God. Okay, that's actually the exact point that you actually need to do this. You can't hear the voice of God. So what are you going to do today so that by the end of this Lenten season, you can't hear the voice of God? So when you say, I, it's just not me, then I say, okay, perfect. That's like the person who does it. I can't run a marathon. Okay, then you need to work out. But I can't work out because I can't run. Well, that's the person who needs to work out. See how this works? Two things. Two things we're gonna need to do. Two things that I need every single person to commit to doing over the next six weeks of this time of Lent to make the most out of this. Revival requires time and discomfort. You need both. And discomfort is my nice way of saying pain. Okay, but let's just leave it at discomfort. Let's start with time. What's the difference between Lent And Holy Week. What's the difference between Lent and Holy Week? Some people, some people love Holy Week. Not for the right reason. Holy Week is short term. Lent is long term. Some people love Holy Week for the wrong reason. You know why? Holy Week is the quick fix. Holy Week is the, I'm taking the week off work. I'm gonna be at every church service from beginning till end. I'm gonna do everything the church says. Like I'm gonna fast the right way. I'm gonna do all the prayers. I'm gonna do everything, 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 everything. everything, And my life is gonna be great, fantastic after that. It's the equivalent of eating junk food for 51 weeks of the year and then say for one week, I'm gonna eat healthy and do a juice cleanse. You think that an entire year of laziness, spiritual laziness will be undone in six days? I mean, I don't need to point fingers or anything like that, but we all know the people. The Holy Week people. You don't see them year-round. Holy Week come, and they're there. And you don't see them the rest of the year. Holy Week by itself? I believe in Lent. I believe, back to the farming analogy that the farmer who's successful at the harvest time is the one who's been working for months before. But the guy who just shows up at harvest time and says, I'm gonna be like super duper hardcore with the fertilizer for these next six days. And it's gonna be the greatest harvest ever. Spiritual revival, getting in shape takes time. It's not something that you can just turn. It's not a light switch you can turn on. You can't just take your heart and say, you know what? Flip it and make it okay. It takes time and it takes investment. That's why I'm going to cut you off at the past. I'm going to say the weekly life group and I'm going to say the daily readings and your initial response is going to be, but I am, finish the sentence, I am busy, but I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. We talk about busyness like it's a disease that we have inherited from our parents. We talk about it it's like, well, I have busyness. Oh, you do? I'm so sorry. We talk about busyness as if we have no control over it. Look, I understand that we go through seasons of business. That's fine. But anyone who is perpetually busy, forgive me. You have a problem. Because if I say spiritual revival and you say I'm too busy to seek God, then you're too busy. I'm too busy to pray for 10 minutes, then you're too busy. I'm too busy to open up my Bible, then you're too busy. And it's not a condition which is imposed by God upon you. It's a decision that you have inflicted upon yourself. You know what I do? I'm super annoying. When someone comes to me and tells me how busy they are, I'm super annoying. You know what I say to them? Someone tells me, I'm busy with this, and I'm busy, and they tell me all this business. I'm like, ah, oh, so what are you going to do about that? They're like, no, you didn't hear me. I'm so busy, and I'm so busy, and this is busy, busy. I said, like, oh, that stinks. So how are you going to fix it? I'm trying to break the idea in your mind that you have no control over your busyness. You control your busyness. No one tells you what to do. No one tells me what to do. This idea of I'm busyness, we need to challenge that assumption. And if I'm too busy to seek God, then I'm too busy. And if I'm too busy to pray with my kids, and I'm too busy, if I'm too busy to open up my Bible, that I'm too busy. Period. And I need to solve it. it. Takes time. The other thing that it needs needs discomfort. Show up on the first day to your personal trainer, and the personal trainer says to you, "My goal is to make this as easy as possible for you to get back in shape." Who has ever said heard those words? My goal to get you want to get in shape? Absolutely, I'm gonna to try to do this as easy as possible and make it as comfortable. And if anything is difficult, just don't do it. Why? Spiritually, that's our attitude. Spiritually, just like physically, we need a little bit of discomfort. And in this series, I'm telling you right off the bat, and some of this you're not gonna like this. We're gonna go past the surface here. We're gonna get past the surface of the don't steal. Don't cheat. Try not to push old ladies down the street. We're going to talk about some subjects that go a little bit deeper. We're going to talk next week about humility. And we're going to see, are we truly living a humble life? Like on the outside, we're all humble. But are we truly humble if we dig a little bit deeper? Like we're going to break up that soil. And see, is there true humility in there? Or just a fake outside kind of humility? We're talking about purity. Purity. And again, on the outside, we all believe purity is very important. But really, are we really striving for that purity? The standards that God said, are we kind of water down God's standard to our own standard? Word of God. We're going to talk about the role of the Word of God in our life. Is the Word of God really, really an authority in my life? Or just something I kind of read here and there to kind of make myself, like we're going to go deep is my point. But we're not going to be content with surface stuff. And we're going to push some areas because we need this fertile soil. We need the soil to be turned. And the soil is not going to be turned if we just be gentle. We need to be a little bit rough. And we need to poke in some areas that maybe we don't want to poke. And the bad news, as our friend Peter saw right we saw with our friend Peter, the longer it's been since you've turned the soil, the longer it's been since you've gotten on the treadmill, the more painful it's going to be at first. But that's okay. That's a good pain. Because it's worth it in the end. That's the only way to get in shape. Jesus gave us a great parable in Luke chapter 8, which can draw you another picture of how this series, what we're trying to do here in this series. It's a parable of the sower, most famous parable. It's given in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We'll read from Luke chapter 8, verse 5. It says, The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground. Others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. Question, what's the distinguishing factor in the fruit and the harvest? The seed? The seed is the same. It's the soil. What's the seed and what's the soil right here? If God was talking to us today and God says, look, let's talk about Lent, let's talk about Holy Week, let's let's talk about spiritual revival. Your job is the soil My job is the seed to bring fruit. You take care of the soil and let God take care of the fruit. That parable reminds us, reminds us always that if we do a good job with the ground and if the ground is good and we focus on our ground and we got humility in that ground and we got honesty in that ground and we got purity in that ground and we got real repentance in that ground, like if our ground is really fertile God promises don't worry about the fruit. I got the fruit. You want the fruit, the love, the joy, the peace. Don't worry about that stuff. You take care of the soil, leave the fruit to me. It won't be easy. But since when is getting in shape easy? Last story I'll leave you all with. Story about my son, Michael. So always, I've discovered recently, I tell a lot of stories about my daughter. People think that why well, you only have good experiences. I'll tell you a story about my son, Michael. This was probably the year 2008, something like that. Michael was three years old. And at the time, I was just about to go on a trip up to Canada. I was about to go up to Toronto and spend like four or five days there. And I guess, I don't really remember the circumstances around it, but I guess I had, like it was one of those times where I traveled a lot. Okay, and I had been traveling a lot. And I remember... I was taking my son Michael to school, it's a Thursday morning and I'm dropping him off at school and I told him like, mom's going to pick you up because by the time you get home, I'm going to be on a plane, I'm on my way to Toronto and I'm going to be gone for the next like four, like I'll be back on Monday. Okay, so I'm like saying goodbye on Thursday and I come back on Monday and he's three years old and he says, and you could tell like he's just, why dad and why dad, he had a little bit more of like a, like a little bit of an accent. He was like, why daddy, why daddy, you know, kind of a thing. I'm like, it's okay, Michael, like, you're going to be okay. Like, you're going to hang out with mom and, 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 and they're just going to be fine. And he's like, no, you know, I want you, daddy. And I'm like, no, no, don't worry, Michael, like, it's going to be okay. And I'm like, it'll be okay. Like, your grandma's going to come and you probably go to Chuck E. Cheese. Like, yeah, have fun. Just don't worry. Okay. And I left him. Okay. And I just sent him off to school. I called him later that night when I arrived in Toronto to just check on things and how things were going. And he was so sad. He was so sad. I said, Michael. He said, I hate Canada. hate Canada. Sorry to any Canadians out there, okay? But he hate Canada. I hate Canada. I'm like, no, Michael, it's okay. Like, you're going to have so much fun. Like, grandma's going to come tomorrow, and she's going to take you to Chuck E. Cheese. He said the following. No offense to the grandmas, okay? Both the grandmas here. He said, I don't want grandma. I don't want Chuck E. Cheese. I don't want fun. I want my daddy. Is there any chance, is there any chance that I say, stupid kid? Is there any chance that I'm like, suck it up? Like I'm about as cold as it gets, and I still remember that. Why? What did my son tell me? My son told me, I don't want anything but you, Dad, and I don't care what else I have, I want you. Imagine if all of us, probably 300 people sitting right here. Imagine the 300 people in this room today looked up at God and said, God, I don't want anything but you. I don't want money. I don't care about my job. I don't care if this problem ever gets solved in my family. I don't want anything, God. I just want you. And I'm willing to let go. Let go of fun, let go of fun. Food, fasting, who cares about that stuff? open up and, 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 and dig in areas that I don't want to, man, I don't want anything. I hate everything. God, I just want you. Is there any chance that God looks at that and says, shh. Here's our prayer that I'm inviting you to say on your own and throughout this series. Here's our prayer. It says, God, will you not revive us again? Psalm 85. Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Will you not revive us again? I can only imagine, I can only imagine, if one child said to me, Daddy, I want nothing except you, and that I still remember to this day, and I had to turn the world upside down to be with him that day. I can only imagine for 300 of us, Lift up our hearts when we get to our homes. Not here, because here, like I said, this is the easy part. This is the, the, the this is that the, the looking nice and the gym and the, 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 the socks and the headband. This is the this is that that outside part. This is not the work part. You did nothing. You did nothing. But if we get to our homes, we say, you know what? I'm ready to roll up my sleeves. And God, I don't care. I don't want anything else in this world. I just want my daddy, and I'm willing to let go of anything. I can only imagine what God is going to do in this series in our homes in our marriages, in our friendships, in our hearts, in our church. if The people of God do that. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, will you not revive us again? Lord, that's all of our prayer. We're not here, Lord, because we want anything from you. We just want you. Most of our lives, Lord, we wasted asking for stuff from you, asking for gifts, answers to prayers, Lord, all of us together with one heart, saying, Lord, we don't want anything from you. We just want you. And we know, Lord, that if we have you, we have everything. And if we don't have you, Lord, we have nothing. We don't want answers to our problems. We don't want solutions, Lord. We just want you, the God of all solutions, the God of of all that is good in this world. Pray, Lord, that during these next six weeks that you would help us really to go deeper and dig and break up the fallow soil of our hearts, that we would be tender soil, that we, like Josiah, would have tender hearts, that you can plant that seed in, Lord, and bring forth fruit hundredfold, like you told us in the parable. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, prayers of all of your saints. Here says we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.